Our Father, we thank you so much for these men who've come out on Saturday morning once again to, uh, to study theology together. And uh, what a joy and a privilege is ours to have this Bible, uh, a Bible that's written in our, that's uh, translated into our own language that we can understand uh, your mind, your will. Uh, we can understand uh, how to grow in holiness and pursue Christ-likeness. We just thank you that we get to do that together as men of this church, and we thank you for all the men who've turned up to do that very thing. We also thank you for the the breakfast. We thank you for Gary and uh, his efforts to feed us and and uh, keep us um, keep us awake with good coffee and good uh, good solid food. And we just ask that you would use that to. Uh, to the betterment of our bodies, but also that you would provide food for our minds, that we could, um, energy for our minds, that we can think through the issues of, uh, as we're going to do this morning, Genesis chapter 3 and the origin of sin. So we thank you again for uh, the study. We thank you for giving us wisdom, spiritual wisdom that we need so desperately. And we find it from you and in your word and by your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, guys, we've just uh, barely entered into a study on homardiology, homardiology being the doctrine of sin. And uh, as we saw last time, ever so briefly, even though we live in such a sin-saturated world, we know that most people today are completely oblivious to the reality of sin. In fact, it's, it's been the effort of our modern world, and especially in this Enlightenment age, uh, that people are kept oblivious to the reality of sin because they're insulated uh, from it and inoculated against it uh, through the concept, the concept of sin itself by psychology. Modern psychology uh, being uh, informed by enlightenment principles has completely denied the reality of the immaterial self and the, uh, the spiritual uh, realities, God, sin, righteousness, and all those things. Uh, everything you see today, any any blame for, say, a Nashville shooting uh, is blamed on biology or physiology or environment or hostility from parents or whatever it is, but nobody can trace it down to the, the actual root cause, which is sin, except for Christians. So this is the spirit of the age that we live in that uh, denies the reality of sin and sadly, I think that that uh, attitude, the spirit of the age, has seeped into many professing Christian churches. And I would say that's to their detriment. It's also to the degradation of the collective witness of Christ's holiness in and through his churches and in through his people. And also it's a degradation, uh, a detriment to the testimony about the gospel's true power to deliver us from sin. We understand how the unbelieving world is oblivious to sin. We get that. Unbelievers are completely blind to the all-consuming and totally enslaving dominant power of sin over their wills, the blinding power of sin over their minds. Uh, anyone who has exchanged the true God for idols, they are blind and unfeeling. They call evil good and good evil. That's what we're seeing in the world we're living in. And the only escape from their wretched condition is the sovereign mercy and grace of God. And that is exactly what's happened to us. The sovereign mercy and grace of God has opened our eyes to the reality of our sin. That's our, 
That's our deepest problem. That's what's going to cast us, cast anyone into hell forever, is our sin against a holy God. And be, because of his grace, because of his mercy, he has opened our eyes to that reality of what our true condition is, what our true danger is, and he's pointed us to salvation in Jesus Christ. So we're so grateful. We, we start on a platform of gratitude and joy to be rescued from sin. But even believers in the world, uh, we do experience and deal with the reality of sin. Uh, I hope you understand that as uh as believing men, but also men who are still sinners and still understand the reality of sin in your life. Even those who are believers in the world, though, those who are redeemed from the mastery of sin and set free from its all-consuming power over the will, believers are still sinners. We understand that, right? As believers, we live in this present age, in this present state of affairs, we live in a mixed condition. That is to say, we're believers, we are redeemed, but we are also still sinners. Is that not true? So we see this reality described in passages such as Romans, I mean, it's all through the New Testament, but Romans seven fourteen to 21 is one in particular. If you have free hands and a Bible in front of you, go ahead and turn to Romans 7, 14 to 21, and I'll just introduce today's uh, discussion that you're going to get into here, uh, trying to heighten the, the need for the discussion. I want you to understand why we need to go back and look at the origin of sin. And uh, I, I can think of many passages, but this one in particular brings in a focus why we need to address this issue of sin and understand, if we could put it this way, understand the enemy within Romans 7:14 this is Paul's testimony it's a believing testimony understanding the struggle about sin he says for we know the law is spiritual but i am of the flesh sold under sin for i do not understand my own actions for i do not do what i want but i do the very thing i hate now if i do what i do not want i agree with the law that it is good So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I'm going to stop there. So we see this same description, a similar description of this law of sin over in Galatians 5, 16 to 17. It's in an abbreviated form. Paul says, but I say, Walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So the wanting to do of good, that's the believing in us, right? But this law of sin, this law, this principle of sin, this, this opposing force within us that's the sinning that's that's the sinful part that's the that's the part uh, what paul calls the flesh or in some places the old 
the old man. So the habits of thinking that come from the old man. In his uh, treatise, The Nature, Power, Deceit, and Prevalency of the Remainders of Indwelling Sin and Believers. I know that's a catchy title. But uh, that treatise, John Owen unpacks the meaning of Romans 7.21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. When I, I find this in myself, Paul says, that it's a law that when I want to do good, when I want to do what's right, evil lies close at hand. And Owen makes four observations for us as believers there. He talks about in that verse, indwelling sin we see is a law. It is, that is to say, it's an operative, effective principle within us. It's something that is, it is always attendant, always abiding, always there, particularly when we want to do good. Also, he says indwelling sin is something believers find. True believers find this principle at work within them. They discover it in themselves. And how do they do that? They discover that through the experience of pursuing good. They find when they pursue good, they're undermined. There's, there's something that's, that's, that's coming into tension inside of them. That's what believers, true believers find. Indwelling sin, another observation Owen makes, is it's not the truest and deepest affection of the believer. The believer really wants, as Paul says in Romans 7, as he says in Galatians 5, the true believer wants always to do good. That's the impulse of the believing heart. That's the impulse of the new nature. The new affections we have is to do what is good and what is right. And yet, the fourth observation from Owen, indwelling sin is always present. It's always opposing whenever we want to do good. It's always there, but it's awakened in particular when we want to do good, when we want to exercise discipline, when we want to exercise self-control, when we want to read our Bibles, when we want to pursue prayer, when we want to lead our families, when we want to turn away from evil and do good, sin is there to oppose. That's the law, the effective principle within us. So, For anyone who has wondered why becoming a Christian doesn't make life easier but harder, Paul's providing the answer right there. I don't know if you've ever talked to a new believer after they get over after that get through that new believer stage where it's like they're just excited to be saved and freed from the the eternal penalty of sin. They find themselves now believers, all of a sudden they awaken to this reality of contrary and competing principles that are at war inside of themselves. And they don't always uh, detect why this is, what's going on within them, but there, is our, there are contrary and competing principles and spiritual operations that create tension within every true believer, especially when he endeavors, especially when he endeavors to do what is good. And this is why it seems so hard to do what's good, so hard to exercise self-control, to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. This is why we must be commanded to do what is righteous, even though we know it's good, wise, joyous to walk in righteousness. We've got to be commanded, and that's why we show up here every single week to church to hear commands to our consciences to tell us, don't do evil, pursue what is good, and we get a reminder of that uh, every single Sunday. So, uh, and I always think about the contrast with this of Adam and Eve in the garden, The law and the operative effective principle within them was a law to do good. Everything, everything for, of doing good in, in that world in which they were placed, every impulse within them 
was to do good. And doing good and doing what was right was easy. Not so in, on this side of the fall. This is where we live. We all read from the same Bible. And uh, though we do, it is readily apparent to us with just casual observation how few professing Christians are reading deeply from their Bibles and pursuing daily obedience to what the Bible commands in great earnest. I think there are some who think that taking the Bible seriously, that that is the special purview of pastors and elders, but not of regular Christians, not of busy men who are preoccupied with making a living and raising their families, men such as yourselves. Uh, and so you can find people who think that this is taking these things seriously and really getting down into the depth of the heart to see sin at work. That's really, I don't have time for that. That couldn't be further from the truth, men. This is, this is where we have to live. By slothfulness in spiritual duties, I think that there are very few who have discovered the sin principle at work within them. Precious few are engaged in the war, having ventured onto the battlefield and becoming familiar with the true enemy of their souls. There are too few doing that, too few who realize that the enemy isn't out there. It's not the culture. It's not the devil. I mean, it's true. The world, the flesh, and the devil are the issue. But the world and the devil are all using the flesh to get us to sin. So really, the heart of the battle, the face of the battle that we face every day, the enemy is within. And I've seen this lax attitude, men, toward indwelling sin. I've seen this uh, ignorance and lack of familiarity with the true enemy in every church that I have been a part of. And you say, wait, the one constant in that you said in every church that you've been a part of is you. <laughs> Quite right. Uh, other sinners like me, though, here in every church I've been a part of, too. And every church I've been a part of, I've found that those who experience, or I, I have found those who, who experience the tension of living in this mixed condition, as a believer and a sinner. There are some who are very attuned to this true reality, uh, the nature of the battle, the face of the battle, and they take it seriously. There are those who, in Romans 8.23 terms, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. They groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. They cry out, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So these are those who sense the enemy within. They are in the battle, they're engaged in warfare, and they are fighting that battle every single day. There are also those, though, in every church I've been a part of who seem quite at ease. Those who ex seem to experience little or no tension at all. I, I hear the, the, the course of conversation in the church and can sometimes hear very little reference to the daily battle. Men talking about anything but, hey man, how are you fighting sin today? How are you doing in fighting the battle, identifying the enemy? How's, it, how's the struggle going for you? Uh, they don't talk like soldiers on the battlefield. They talk like guys who are observing maybe a basketball game or some other sport. There are those who sense this tension very little and this may be because they are in an unmixed condition. That is to say, they're not believers at all. 
and therefore senseless of any war against sin. They're not engaged in any battle. Why? Because unbelievers make no war against sin at all. Or it may be because they are unacquainted with spiritual warfare, because they're distracted by the world or asleep to spiritual things or distracted by the worries and cares of life. Sometimes men may be oblivious because of many years of ignorance about the issue itself. Um, what I hope to provoke in you, though, as we get into the study of homardiology and the doctrine of sin, I want to provoke in you a heart for the battle. I think that our Lord would have us, as the men of Grace Church, lead out in our church by casting off all sloth and indolence with regard to spiritual things and to fight the blindness of ignorance in order that we might see the true enemy within. So I'd say to you men, as you start out your group discussions this morning, redeemed sinner, redeemed man, know thyself and get yourself into the fight. And I'm going to read a passage from Owen that will hopefully get your blood up just a little bit and make the conversation even more robust this morning. Group leaders, I hope that this uh, is uh, to your benefit as you lead the guys through uh, the questions. Here's what Owen says. There are these contrary principles in the hearts of believers. And if they labor not to be spiritually wise, how shall they be, they be able to steer their course aright? Many men, <clears throat> excuse me, many men live in the dark to themselves all their days. Whatever else they know, they know not themselves. They know their outward estates, how rich they are in the condition of their bodies as to health and sickness, they're careful to examine. But as to their inward man and their principles as to God and eternity, they know little or nothing of themselves. Indeed, few labor to grow wise in this matter. Few study themselves as they ought. They are acquainted, uh, few study themselves as they ought or acquainted with the evils of their own hearts as they ought on which yet the whole course of their obedience and consequently of their eternal condition doth depend. This, therefore, is our wisdom. And it is a needful wisdom if we have any design to please God or to avoid that which is a provocation to the eyes of his glory. What, you, what we shall find also in our inquiry hereunto, what diligence and watchfulness is required unto a Christian conversation. There is a constant enemy unto it in everyone's own heart. We may bewail the woeful sloth and negligence that is in the most, even in professors. He's not talking about academic professors. He's talking about professors of Christianity. They live, in the, they live and walk as though they intended to go to heaven, hoodwinked and asleep, as though they had no enemy with all. And then skipping down, he says <clears throat> this call, <clears throat> Excuse me. He says this, Awake, therefore, all of you in whose hearts is anything of the ways of God. Your enemy is not only upon you as on, Samson of, as on Samson of old, but is in you also. He is at work by all ways of force and craft. Would you not dishonor God and his gospel? Would you not scandalize the saints and ways of God? Would you not wound your own consciences and endanger your souls? Would you not grieve the good and Holy Spirit of God, the author of all your comforts? 
Would you keep your garments undefiled and escape the woeful temptations and pollutions of the days wherein we live? Would you be preserved from the number of the apostates in these latter days? Awake to the consideration of this cursed enemy, which is the spring of all these and innumerable other evils, as also of the ruin of all the souls that perish in this world. Thus says Owen. So I think the most obvious starting place for us as men, if we're going to take this battle seriously, if we're going to get a good look at the enemy uh, within, we need to start at the beginning. Start at the beginning and take a look. If we're going to understand indwelling sin now on this side of the fall, we need to go back to the fall and understand how it got here. We need to go back to the beginning and take a look at the origin of sin. That's why you're in groups this morning is to have a discussion about this. We'll, we'll get into this little foray and to understand the enemy within making some observations about the origin of sin. So we've got you into groups. We've got a uh, group leader over here is Brett. Um, and make sure you guys have a recorder for your group recording your answers. Over here, I've got uh, Gary Odie teamed up with Jeff Rowe. Looks like they're looking across the room from each other. But Jeff's going to aid Gary in that and make sure you got a recorder over there. Bill Wilcutts is over in this group. And then right over here, we've got Josh Odie, wherever he is. Can't see. Oh, there you go. All right, there's Josh Odie. So make sure you have recorders. Um, discussion, again, is about the origin of sin. Got the guys are going to lead you through questions on, out of Genesis 3. That is a paradigmatic passage, a paradigm for temptation and reveals the subtle operations of sin. And I want to make sure that you guys don't feel the need, especially you leaders, don't feel the need to rush through your discussion. Take time to think through these questions well, come up with good answers. Whatever we don't finish this time, we'll, we'll pick it up next time. It's okay. If you do finish, that's great. We'll discuss it all next time. But if we need to take it up next time, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, and then we'll be discussing the answers. We just want to get a good some good observations. And if you do these observations well, guys, in Genesis chapter 3, this will provide so much um, food for thought as you take this back to your families and teach them as well, okay? So I just want to encourage you to do that. Ready? Break. Guys, you're on. All right, guys. Thanks for the robust discussion. I really appreciate it. I think, uh, I think it'll bear a lot of fruit in your life, your family. So um, uh, definitely take this... What'd you say? <laughs> Eat more fruit. That's, um, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, these men. Thank you for uh, what you're doing in our church and our lives. And we do pray that you would help us to uh, discern the true nature of sin within us, uh, that we would true, uh, discern the, the nature of sin from this origin story, from Genesis chapter 3, that we would understand uh, the things you have written here for our good and for your glory. We, we want to please you. We want to pursue your goodness. And, and the world you created is filled with goodness. Even now in a sin-cursed world, your goodness is, is resplendent and it all redounds to your glory. And we pray, Father, that we would um, you help us to continue to fight sin, mortify it, uh, pursue it with, with extreme prejudice to kill it, but, Father, that we would also uh, pursue what is good, pursue you, pursue Christ, and please help us. Uh, just as, as Paul was wrestling with this in Romans chapter 7, 
that we too would be those who struggle and wrestle and fight and do battle and do war, uh, that we would do it to your glory, that we would do it uh, for the joy that's set before us and that we would um, uh, prevail. And we know that we'll do that by the spirit and by the word. Please keep us faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.